So many things to remember. Uh, things that God has been doing in our lives, things that we have seen him do. Um, some of us have had many, many years, some of us only a few years, to see God at work. Uh, but seeing him at work in our lives has, has transformed us. There was an old college professor who, on his first day of class, was introducing the course and said, there are three things that I can't remember. I can't remember names. I can't remember faces. And, um, well, I guess I can't remember the third thing. <laughs> Memory is an important thing. Being able to remember now, we have family members who maybe can't remember as well as they used to. I can't remember as well as I used to. Memory is important, and as, as that memory starts to fade, we realize how important memory is. That, that for our identity, for our understanding of who we are, for understanding the context in which we exist, it's important to have memory. To know where we have been gives us a picture into where we are going. It reminds me of the, the 1991 movie called Regarding Henry. Uh, Henry is this horrible, horrible, successful lawyer. Uh, just a despicable person, but very successful financially. Uh, his personal life is a disaster, uh, he does not treat his wife well, he does not treat his daughter well, but he's incredibly successful financially until one day he is in an armed robbery and is shot in the head, survives, but wakes up with no memory. He has no idea who he is, what he has done, what his relationship has been like with his wife and his daughter. And he's left to rebuild his identity of who he is. Having to, to even learn how to walk again. How to do basic human activity. And through the course of the movie, his relationship with his wife and relationship with his daughter is completely transformed. He's now a different person. Memory has changed his past. And so even if we haven't faced something as dramatic as a bullet to the brain, we, we understand how important it is to remember, how important it is for us to, to know where we've come from. Now part of the problem is that we have so much information being fed into us that it's easy to forget. There's an overload of information. We have the media that is, is, is flooding us with 24-hour news cycles. And somehow, if I'm supposed to be really up with current events, I have to remember some of that. But there's so much to remember, so much detail. The media co constantly feeds us so many different things. We have social security numbers. We have PIN numbers. We have phone numbers. All of these different numbers that we have to remember. Um, I use the same combination lock at the gym that I used in high school because I am terrified of forgetting my locker combination. 
And if I lose that lock, I am in trouble because I do not want to have to remember another locker combination. It is embedded into my memory. We have important dates that we're supposed to remember, birthdays, anniversaries, and hopefully we're remembering those. And then the larger our family gets, the more of those we have to remember. Um, Some of you have so many great-grandchildren, I don't even know how you remember their names, much less their birthdays. The family gets bigger and bigger, and we have to remember these things. And then there are passwords. Oh, the passwords. Where every website you go on to, you have to create some sort of login with a unique password. And all of us are following the rules that say every password needs to be different, right? Because if there is a, no, (laughs) very few of us are actually doing that. If there's a hack in one place, we're in trouble because that password is everywhere. We have to remember so much. We're constantly having to remember more. And the flow doesn't let up because we suffer from this oppression of a modern-day pharaoh called the tyranny of the urgent. This says there's always something more urgent to deal with, and it's constantly crowding out our consciousness, and each one of us are fighting through so much information that we're just trying to stay afloat. And so we spend our days going from fire to fire, from urgent thing to urgent thing, and some of life's really important matters are neglected. We miss out on what's most important because we're focused on what is most urgent. And all of this clutter in our lives serves to give us this uneasiness and this hopelessness. We begin to feel like one of John Steinbeck's character, characters named Hazel. This is how he describes Hazel. Casting about in Hazel's mind was like wandering alone in a deserted museum. Hazel's mind was choked with uncatalogued exhibits. He never forgot anything, but he never bothered to arrange his memories. Everything was thrown together like fishing tackle in the bottom of a rowboat. Hooks and sinkers and line and lures and gaffs all snarled up. And so we have these two pictures of memory, these uncategorized museum objects, all there, but not really organized anyway, or the, the tangled up mess in the bottom of a rowboat. My mind feels like that sometimes. I try to find the end of that tangled up mess and unwind all of it. And so a cluttered mind can be dangerous for us. It can be dangerous for our lives. It causes us to forget the things that really matter the most. The things that are most important in our lives get lost because we're consumed with what's going on in the immediate And in the process, we lose who we are. We lose our true identity. And so today we're continuing on in our series in Joshua, looking at Joshua chapter 3 and 4, if you want to start turning there. We've got a pretty big chunk of text here. Um, and, And as we get into the story here, we're anticipating the crossing of the Jordan. Last, last week we talked about the spies who go into the land and find Rahab. The great story of espionage and prostitution. And then we get to this week where they're camped on the the banks of the Jordan, ready to cross over. And they've been in this spot for three days, waiting for God. 
waiting for him to signal what's next. Now the Jordan is at flood stage level, so it's not really passable. And so something's going to have to happen if they're going to be obedient to what God has called them into. Uh, starting in verse 5, it says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves. Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And so this is the start of the story that, that Joshua is telling the people, you need to go through this religious purification process. You need to consecrate yourself if this is going to happen. And in this consecration and in this, in this event that is about to happen, you are going to see God do some amazing things. Now, amazing things in the Old Testament mean things that only God can do. That it's not just going to be kind of a cool thing or kind of a neat thing. This is going to be an amazing thing, a feat that only God can accomplish. And this is what he's preparing them for. And so they need to be clean. They need to be ritually clean for this process. So now let's skip down into verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away in a town called Adam. It was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And so what we have here is this picture of, of the Ark of the Covenant being the focal point. Now remember, the Ark of the Covenant is the symbol of God's royal presence, the symbol of God's power, as the symbol of his sovereign leadership over Israel. And so it is through the Ark that they pass to get to the other side. And so the scene is really more like some sort of religious procession than it is a military battle. There is this consecration, this, this cleansing, this, this collection of priests taking the ark into the water, and the water not being there anymore, being completely dried up so that the entire group can pass by. And so they're marching on. Can you imagine being, being these priests? Who they, they've been told what is going to happen, but they are, are walking toward the water, and they see the water, and they've been told that God's going to do some amazing things. They're, they've been told that God will stop the water, but they have to take a step into the water. Because it's when their foot touches the water in faith that the waters stop. And so here they step into the water. The water stops, the ground is dry. The river is now passable. The Lord does amazing things. Let's continue in chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place 
where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men and he appointed the men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. He said, go over before the ark of the Lord, your God, in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. They're a sign and they're a memorial. These stones, these 12 stones collected from the riverbed are to be a sign and a memorial of what God has done. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and there they are to this day. Now the priests who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, command the priests, carry the Ark of the Covenant's law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded to the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And no sooner had their, land, had their feet, had they set their feet on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and run, ran at flat, flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord, your God. So we have here this great episode where the people are camped on the bank of the Jordan and they go to the Jordan and God's power and God's presence 
is demonstrated with the people. They see in a very real way what God can do. It is amazing. It is awesome. It is this, it's this show of the greatness and the majesty and the mystery of God. All of this is demonstrated through this. But intertwined in this story is this message of remembrance. That it, it is critical for them to remember what God has done there. It is not simply enough to, to know that they have been saved, but to actually remember that they have been saved and actually put things in place where their descendants would be reminded of why they've been saved. That there is this, this sign, that there is this memorial that says, this is what God has done for us. This is the power of God. This is the move of God. This is the God we worship and why we worship him. And so remembering is importance. There are these 12 stones that are collected. 12 stones that are collected and arranged to, to remember who God is, and what God has done. And it appears in the story that there are two sets of 12. There, there are 12 that are set up in the riverbed where the ark was at, and then there's a set of 12 that's on the bank of the river that's set up for them to visually remember what God has done. And Joshua says that the stones are collected to be a sign for them, a sign among you. And so in the Old Testament, a sign is something that, that is done to authenticate what has happened. It's, it's sometimes a visual, visible object like this. Sometimes it's an action. Sometimes it's an event like Passover that, that conveys information to say God has done something. And so these stones for us authenticate this past event. They say this, this past event really happens and reminds Israel that they need to continue remembering the significance for later generations. Remember who God is and what he has done. And so Joshua places the 12 stones on the banks of the river so that the future Israelites, the future generations, would be able to remember what it is that happened there and how important that is for them. He wanted to make sure that they, they would not forget the amazing things that God has done. God has demonstrated his power here. And so they entered in dry ground because the ark stopped the Jordan's flow and it reminds them of the unstoppable power of God. As they remember the story, they remember God. So it's important for us to remember, even in the midst of our current circumstances, the things that we're going through, the, the dark seasons, the difficulties, the challenges, whatever it is that we're facing, maybe it is just the sheer craziness of the urgence. Whatever it is that is, is your life right now, we need to remember what it is that God has done for us how he's moved in our lives, the power that he has. Because we get caught up in our immediate circumstances, we get caught up in just what's here and now, and we forget what it is that God has done. We forget who he is. We forget the power that he brings to our life. We forget the presence that he has in our life. Because we forget 
we forget how he's moved and how he has changed us. And so for us, we lose hearts, we get discouraged, we lose our identity, we lose our way because we forget the rivers that we have passed through, the dry land that has been laid before us, the powerful presence of God that has been demonstrated in our lives. And so for us as Christians, the, the cross becomes the most common remembrance for us. That each week we gather together to remember the historic event of the cross. And that brings us into perspective of, of who we are and what God has done for us. We remember as well our own historical events. Each one of us have stories. Each one of us have written down different things that we, we have seen God do, the powerful power of God demonstrated in our lives. And, and we have these events that are markers for us. We remember these things. They're, they're turning points for us in our spiritual pilgrimage. It could be a story of how we came to faith. It could be how God healed a disease. It could be how he guided us into important decisions. It, it could be how he has, has set us free from, from physical or spiritual dangers. It could be how he guided us through a really dark valley of our lives. These are historic events for us. Markers in our lives that remind us of who we are, where we've come from, and the hope that we have for a future. They mark for us these memorable, life-changing moments, these events of ours. And so I want to read just a few of these. This is always a challenge. God has blessed me with a great job, a great boss that I have and have been there for a very long time. Uh, we've got newfound peace that opened my eyes to a better life, job and family. I'm thankful for true friends who love me. We have drawings of little animals. He put Montgomery in my life path. He gives me strength when I have none. He gives me the right words when I need them. Jesus has taken away my sins, my family, my marriage, health, everything I need. Um, God has healed my marriage. God's wisdom growing and seeking. A childhood with Christian parents and a church family which gave me the foundation of faith. Provision, reconciliation, peace, healing, hope, salvation, full life. Giving me a beautiful new family, member, uh, new family members in uncertain situations. Gave me a loving husband and beautiful children, loving parents, mommy and daddy. Family and community. God's placed people in my life who have led me closer to him. Saved my life, saved my marriage, gave me increased faith in children. Beautiful children. 
loving grandchildren, beautiful wife, a loving wife. I was paralyzed from the neck down. I walk now. He's repaired my broken marriage. He is my reason, my purpose. Healing my son when sick as a newborn, pulling my life back to God when in a dark place, healing a divided home and marriage, taking my sick wife and healing her, giving me a hope that I never knew existed. He put me in places that connected me with people that greatly influenced my spiritual life. My new home, my parents' faith, giving me strength to be the man you want me to be. God has answered prayers. Grandkids, salvation, marriages of my kids, knowing what a father's love really is. That's just a small, small stack of the things that we remember that God has done. We can point to these events in our own lives. We, we have friends and family that we can witness this in others. Where we see God at work in powerful ways. And so we remember God's powerful presence then. We remember what he has done in our lives so that we can move forward in his power now. And when we forget and don't remember, our life becomes chaotic. It becomes distracted. It becomes uncertain. And so for us to move in the power of God now, we have to remember what God has done then. We remember the presence of God then because he remains powerful in our lives now. He remains a powerful presence in our lives. And it's so easy for us to forget that. It's so easy for us to get discouraged and distracted, to get hung up in the urgent, to get hung up in the immediate darkness, the immediate difficulty, the immediate challenge, the immediate struggle. We get focused in on those things and we forget that God is powerfully present now. And the promises of healing and the promises of restoration and the promises of reconciliation are not promises of the past, but they're the promises of the present. But there are days where it does not feel like God is present. There are days when it seems like we're alone. There are days where we are in a season of darkness. But if you can't remember what God has done in your life, at least hear what God is doing and has done in other lives and take hope in that and encouragement in that. That God is on the move. God is working. God is seeking us and pursuing us and wanting us to cross over that river into that promised land. And he's holding those waters back for us, waiting for us to step out on dry ground. For us, the greatest act of remembrance is the Lord's Supper. 
And so for those of you who are, are helping to serve this morning, I want to ask you to go ahead and head back and, and prepare for our time at the table. We come to the table to remember the cross, to remember the, the amazing acts of God that are done for us. And in the same way that Joshua sets up this pile of stones to remember what it is that, that God has done for them, Jesus takes this meal for us, and he takes this bread, and he takes this cup, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. Luke 22, he's, he's at the table with those closest to him, with his disciples, and he takes the bread, and he breaks it. Remember me. Remember the cross. Remember what it is that I have done for you. Remember the amazing work of God in our lives. And so the cross marks this crucial event for us. It is this, this watershed moment in history in the same way that, that the crossing of the Jordan was this historical event where they went from wandering into the promised land. For us, the cross is this, this watershed moment where we go from lost and wandering to saved. It is the Christian counterpart to the Red Sea and the Jordan stories. And so, like Joshua, Jesus gives this to us to remember. And so, I want us just to quiet ourselves and remember the amazing things that God has done.